36, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 36 degrees outside. We will continue to keep you apprised of things going on the roadways, as you probably figured out. Uh, it is extremely foggy out there, uh, not great visibility, so be careful. I will not lecture you. Turn on your lights. <laughs> turn, turn on your lights. That, that's good advice, because even if you can see, we want to make sure other people see you. But um, it is foggy. But I will tell you, 36 degrees and fog, I will take this. First week of February, any time. I will take this. And again, if you look at the long-range forecast, no big snowstorms on the horizon. Supposed to get uh, cold for a, a day or so towards the end of the week. But even cold, we're not talking about sub-zero type of stuff. We're talking about highs in the low 20s and maybe down into uh, the, the teen, low teens or single digits. We're, you know, I, I don't don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but weather-wise, when it comes to winter in Wisconsin, you you want to think that there's kind of light at the end of the tunnel as we move through here. All right. We start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things, things that I think you need to know about, to discuss at work, or to watch during the course of the day as they develop. Probably the biggest story of the day is going to be coming out of San Francisco, California. That is where the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal sits. Here's the way it works. The the country is divided into federal judicial districts. Um, For example, in Wisconsin, we have two judicial districts, the Eastern uh, District of Wisconsin, the Western District of Wisconsin. Uh, Essentially, if you go out to Madison and draw a line north-south, uh, everything to the east of Madison is in the eastern district. That's about two-thirds of the population. Everything to the west is in the western district. Um, in in the eastern district of Wisconsin, there are four federal judges in Milwaukee, one in Green Bay. Yeah. And what happens is those judges make rulings. If there's an appeal of the rulings, they go all appeals go, in this case, to the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, which sits in Chicago. But it hears all the appeals from federal cases in Indiana, Illinois, and in Wisconsin. So that's the Seventh Circuit. So you've got states that are divided into federal judicial districts. And then you have Court of Appeals, which hear appeals from the various districts. In the case of the Trump travel ban, a federal judge in Washington state issued an injunction ordering, preventing the government from enforcing the Trump travel ban. The Trump travel ban, of course, was the order that said that temporarily all immigration from seven states with associations to terrorism in various fashions, um, we're not going to, we're going to suspend all immigration and we're going to look at the vetting process. Federal judge in Washington state issued a nationwide injunction saying this cannot be enforced anywhere in the country. Uh, The administration has appealed this, and there's going to be an argument today, actually over the telephone, which is kind of an extraordinary step, in front of a three-judge panel for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which sits in California, which hears, they sit in San Francisco, but they hear appeals from the West Coast, California, Washington, Hawaii, and um, Oregon. Um, I'm not sure if there's any other states involved as well, but it, it sits. 
that that's how it works. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is historically one of the, if not the most liberal court of appeals in the country. Some tend to be more conservative. Some tend to be more liberal. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, for whatever it's worth, is one of the most liberal. There will be a three-judge panel which will hear the appeal that the government is making saying that the district judge was wrong. Now, this argument, it's important to understand, is not going to necessarily decide whether or not Trump's order was constitutional. What the appeal is, is whether the judge was within his right in issuing an injunction blocking the order. So the question is going to be twofold. First of all, if, if Trump's order was allowed to stand, would it cause irreparable harm to Washington State, and to Minnesota. Those were the two states that initially filed the the lawsuit. So would they be irreparably harmed if the order was in place? And then the second aspect is, do do those states have a reasonable chance? uh, Are they likely to prevail on the merits? In other words, are they likely to win? They have to show both of those things before they can succeed. I think lots of legal analysts think that because of the makeup of the Ninth Circuit, it is likely that the order will continue, that the injunction will continue to be in place. In other words, that Trump will not be allowed to implement his travel ban. Let's start off. Big thing number one, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Under the law, the president has wide discretion in determining matters of immigration. There is a whole line of court cases that go back to something called the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952 that gives the president to suspend the power to suspend or impose restrictions on the entry of foreign nationals if he determines their entry would be detrimental to the interest of the United States. And going back to just 1986, there's at least eight instances where presidents have blocked residents of certain countries like Cuba, Libya, Russia, Somalia, and Yemen from being granted admission to the U.S. So there's pretty settled law that says that Trump has the ability or a president has broad ability to um, implement things when it comes to immigration. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Should the courts continue to ban, to stop Trump from being able to implement this order, or is this meddling by the judicial branch in something that, well, is really within the scope of the president trying to regulate immigration for national security purposes. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number one for a Tuesday morning. 45, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's going to be a one-hour oral argument. It's going to be conducted by telephone. It starts at 5 p.m. our time. I don't know if the Ninth Circuit's going to issue a ruling immediately after the argument. I would doubt that they do. I think that you're going to hear the ruling come out probably over the course of the next couple of days. But this is a huge legal showdown already you know we're all two weeks or so into the Trump administration, less than a month into the Trump administration, and and we have 
a major conflict with the courts. All right, what should the courts do? Jeff in Madison. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Republic, Jeff. Uh, I have basically two questions. The first one, you, in the points you mentioned earlier about uh, the states of Mich- uh, right. uh, Washington, and I think the term is standing. Do they have legal standing? Right. By by standing, the way that's the way that's interpreted means that they're going to have to show that they have somehow suffered some sort of direct and concrete harm. You know, just just because you don't like as, as a general rule, just because you don't like something doesn't give you the right to sue. You have to show how you were affected. Now, the two states, Minnesota and Washington, are arguing that they they are harmed because it could affect some people who are currently living in those states with regard to employment or education or travel i i think you've hit onto something jeff i in all honesty i don't think the states have standing and so if the court wanted to dump it that would be if the court wanted to dump it without even getting any farther they could do that yeah my question jeff is wasn't that the premise of the u.s suing the state of arizona and it, that and the U.S. government prevailed because the the court and I don't remember if it was the Court of Appeals or whether it was even the Supreme Court, but the court ruled that Arizona does not have standing. Right, right, exactly. Now my my next question is: Does all this delay really hurt? Because as you know, we've got eight Supreme Court justices, four and four, mm-hmm. and if when Mr. Gorsuch is confirmed, obviously that may swing the decision. So right. maybe this is not such a bad thing. Well, the other, right, and let me just throw something, yes, I, you're, you're saying, okay, get Gorsuch confirmed, and then you're not going to have a split in the, the Supreme Court where they, they could go four to four. I mean, the other thing, Jeff, is there's all sorts of ways that if President Trump wanted to accomplish this, he, he could. I mean, this is this is a very specific lawsuit regarding particular orders. He could recraft the order, or... You know, he, he could go to Congress. You know, there, there's all sorts of things that, that he could, in fact, do. You know, one of the things that I would like to see him do is I would and I would like to have seen him do this at, in, up front is actually address the nation. You know, come out, give, you know, give one of those chats from the Oval Office to explain what exactly he was doing and why he was doing it and get public opinion on his side. Because I don't know about you, Jeff, but I continue to believe that once when general when people hear hey what he's really trying to do is put a temporary halt on immigration from seven states with seven countries with ties to terrorism i think most people say oh that kind of makes sense to me yeah and i think the majority feel that way and again it'd be nice if he would do that yeah no thanks for calling no, but you raise an outstanding point if if you're listening to the commentary today and you hear people talking about standing what that means is again before you can sue you have to show that you you're being hurt and, and candidly, uh, the federal judge in Washington, you know, found that there were that there was standing that was there, but that the states are arguing, well, um, if you if you block people from coming in, it affects families in our states. I think that's a pretty big stretch. Now, I, I think actually, under the law, just you know, my my position, I think the administration has a really really strong argument because historically. We have given the president broad powers to try to decide, to try to regulate immigration in the, the interest of, of the country. I think it is a very, very dangerous precedent if you decide that you're going to have, if individual judges in individual districts decide that they're going to start monkeying around with 
um, overall federal immigration policy. Um, sort of. So now you've got however many federal judges there are. Okay, each one is now going to sit back and say, okay, I'm going to be an arbitrator uh, of what is a good policy and what is a bad policy. So. I think for a lot of reasons, I think it is important that the administration win this. I think they're, in my opinion, on solid legal ground, although I don't necessarily expect a three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit to agree with that. Having said all that, though, doesn't mean that there aren't other ways that the president can go about this, including going to Congress, including making the case to the American people to avoid this. One of the things that troubled me about Barack Obama during the last term of his administration was how he just decided to bypass Congress on all these things, you know, and he decided he was going to, like, use his executive powers to issue order after order after order. Now, interestingly, it never bothered the left when Barack Obama was doing that. Now the George Soros-funded folks are all up in arms that, okay, Donald Trump is doing it, but still, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and I think Trump could have done a better job. Regardless of what happens in this appeal, I, I look for some sort of immigration ban to continue to be implemented. Again, if they lose this, maybe they'll change it around a little bit, render this particular thing moot, and and then move on to the next thing. But um, 5 o'clock tonight, oral arguments, ruling should come down in the next few days. It is 8.51. When we come back, big thing number two, is medical marijuana coming to Wisconsin? Stick around. It's 8.54, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, big thing number two. Uh, just because just because arguments or ideas come from a certain side of the aisle doesn't always make them bad. The way it works right now is that 28 states in the country and Washington, D.C. allow some form of medical marijuana. Yesterday, a couple Democrats from Madison, John Erpenbach, who's ne- almost never right, and Representative Chris Taylor, who this might be the first time, in my opinion, she is right. She's another one of those legislators that... You know, if you want to find out where you want to be on an issue, find out where she is, go the other way. In any event, they they suggested legislation which would allow medical marijuana in Wisconsin. Um, I understand that this is controversial. Robin Voss, who's the Speaker of the Assembly, said he was open to this idea. Now, let me back into this topic with some personal discussion here. In May of 2015, my late wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And there, there was no cure. It was just that the, the treatment was palliative, trying to extend the life and make her, as, her life and make her as comfortable as she possibly could. Now, we never got to the issue of marijuana or anything like that, but she was regularly prescribed. And until the very end, she she didn't she didn't take the, like the heavy duty drugs until the, the very end because she just didn't want to. But. I mean, I, we were regularly getting prescriptions for, uh, again, heavy-duty opiates because, again, because of the nature of the disease, it was we want to kind of control pain and things like that. And I remember thinking at the time, if if there was a situation where it would have eased her suffering or you know helped her improve her appetite or something like that, given the fact that you're getting heavy-duty drugs, I mean, opiates and things like that, would medical marijuana hurt? I mean, again, given the stuff that is being prescribed, and I will tell you, maybe it is because of my just personal experience, but if you have ever had somebody that you care about deeply, you know, um, suffering or or going through different medical conditions, you, you want 
anything that is available to them to be available so they can use, again, to improve their appetite or help them sleep or, or whatever. And given the fact that nowadays you have doctors that, again, can prescribe appropriately all sorts of heavy-duty drugs, I seriously wonder why, if by prescribing some medical marijuana helps somebody sleep or helps somebody eat or helps calm somebody down, rather than taking, again, heavy-duty drugs, why not? 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And I realize that many of you, you might probably disagree with me on that, but I, I, I was a drug prosecutor, so I understand the dangers of drugs. I understand and firmly believe that drugs are one of the things that have the potential to destroy our society. But when it comes to medical marijuana, if it helps somebody who is ill, why not? Let's start with Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Every year, the same bill comes up, and every year, it never even makes a pass to me. Good. It's the same song and dance year after year. For some reason, it's never even brought to the floor for a vote. And because we're not a really a ballot initiative state, it, that, it always dies right, right. there. Um, if they actually get this referendum passed and put on the ballot, that may change their, their, their minds in the committee, but... Right now, as it stands, I don't I don't see it happening for a very long. Should it happen? Should it happen? I believe it. It should happen. I, I don't see any reason why not. If doctors are on board with it and see a lot of applications that it could be used for for treatment, why not? Yeah. Um, I, every you got bars in every corner in every suburb city in, in Wisconsin. Well, I mean, again, I, I, I just look at the anything. yeah. I mean, th- I mean, see, I just look at the drugs that are being prescribed um, for for stuff. And and again, if 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 medical marijuana helps somebody who's got a serious illness eat or or sleep or whatever, why why not? Craig in Menominee Falls. Craig, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, I have a daughter going through it right now for the last like fourteen months, and she's going to have a, a bone marrow transplant yeah. on Tuesday. And so I know how the chemo sessions go. I know yep. how the radiation goes. Yep. And I know how the medication goes. And it, just because you're prescribed the medication does not mean it works. Right. I mean, she's extremely nauseous, so the medication doesn't make her feel any better. Yep. And, and her appetite and her sleeping habits. And, you know, she goes to St. Luke's and she goes to Prater. And doctors that are dealing with her told her this would be a good idea. Hmm. Um if she was to take it. And, and, and in, case, in a situation like your daughter, Craig, and believe me, my, my heart goes out to you and, and your daughter, um, I mean, you, you want to say, okay, what's the harm? If the doctors are already giving her at least heavy-duty drugs, so and, and if a little bit of pot might help her sleep or might help end the nausea or might help her eat a little bit, why not? I mean, you know, right. under these circumstances. Right. I mean, Jeff, they, you know, people need to understand, unless you're in a situation you don't know, when you become so nauseous and it's chemo, it makes you not yep. want to drink, so you become dehydrated. Yep. It makes you not want to eat. And, you know, right now they're telling her, yeah, I mean, we got to go back to the hospital today before she goes to get yeah. admitted again. So they're saying it's very important that you get your rest. Yeah. It's important that you exercise. It's important that you eat. And, you know, this is going to make your process a lot better. Right. And, and yeah. you know, marijuana would, would help her in this. Well, well right. And, and my guess is, I mean, if she's getting, if they're prescribing her, you know, she's, she's getting 90 pills of oxycodone a month to take, you know. Okay, if, if you're going to prescribe oxycodone or whatever, what, what what's the harm of a little bit of medical marijuana? Craig, thanks for the call. And, um... Just, I'm, I'm very sorry for what your daughter's going through. Bet, best of best of luck. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. All right, couple Democrats pushing for medical marijuana to be legal in Wisconsin. Are they on the right track? We continue the conversation. It's-
Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things segment that we start every program off with today. Number two is medical marijuana. A couple of Democrats in Madison once again introducing a, a bill which would make Wisconsin the 29th state to allow medical marijuana. Matter of fact, um, Minnesota allows medical marijuana. Um, Iowa allows medical marijuana, I believe, um, and, and one other Midwestern state. But we would be the 29th state to allow medical marijuana as an alternative uh, that would provide for a, a referendum on that. I think if you put this to the voters, it would overwhelmingly pass. And as I was saying earlier, and I recognize you might disagree with me on this, and this is from my perspective as a former drug prosecutor, I think I think it is time for a law like this. And my justification is, given heavy-duty drugs that can be prescribed to people, especially people with terminal illnesses and things like that. I, I guess if the choice is, gee, we can give you oxycodone and we can give you a whole bunch of other pills to try to end nausea, or you can take some medical marijuana, why Why not? I mean, and the, I guess the argument is that this is a backdoor way of legalizing marijuana. I just I don't see that as the case because the people that are smoking dope, well, well they're, they're not going to be going to the medical marijuana stores to, to get that. They're not going to be going to the dispensaries. dispensaries. They're still going to be getting their marijuana from their dealers. Let's talk to Mark in Chicago. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I've got a friend who actually uh, raises medical marijuana in Michigan. And uh, she's she's very uh, up to date on the subject. She's very involved with the legislators in Michigan. Right. Uh, and and I think a big part of it is the uh, education of not only the uh, people in government but the uh, the public. Um, you know, you can apply medical marijuana in an oil. It can be applied locally. Right. Uh, you know, dermally. Uh, and I think there's that stigma that marijuana is just something that you smoke in the corner with. Uh, Black lights and uh, you know <laughs> right yeah right watching and, the lava lamp go up and down yeah, going hey watching, man yeah exactly. right watching the lava lamp and and there's so many different strains of marijuana that are used for different applications for pain for appetite um, one of the arguments I've heard was uh, the pharmaceutical companies are yeah. very much against medical sure. uh, excuse me medical marijuana because sure. it can take a big cut into their profitability. Uh, it can be much cheaper for the user than some of these very expensive uh, painkillers. So, right. and there are a couple. You no, know, you know, you're onto something. I think, Mark, there are there are some alternatives. There, there's some. Um, there's a couple like oral medications that my understanding is that it's um, that it's man-made. It, it's man-made stuff that has some of the ingredients that you know the, that marijuana has. So you, you can get some of the benefits. But you're right. I mean, these are regulated by the pharmaceutical companies and stuff. And I think there probably is a huge profit motive there. You know, if, if you you know if you no longer need to get a couple of these pills, which people tell me don't work anywhere near as well. Um, there goes the pharmaceutical company's profits. Plus the side effects. I mean, the side effects of some of these pills are, are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, the side effects can be worse than the medication itself yeah. or, or than the problem itself. So, I mean, I guess uh, I, 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 I was just thinking about our first, you know, the, the, the guy who called whose whose daughter, you know, um, is going through the cancer and the bone marrow stuff and all. And you sit there and you say, okay, she's already taking all these pills. If 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 medical marijuana would help her sleep or ease her nausea or, or help her appetite a little bit, why not? I mean, seriously, why why not at that stage? Yeah, again, I think it's an education piece, education for the public and education for people who are voting on that. Um, thanks for the call. I appreciate the perspective. Lois in West Dallas. Lois, you're on 620 WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Hi, Lois. I, I just, I probably don't have too much to contribute, but I just wanted to say thanks for bringing it up and and thanks for your own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, like I said, we, I, I never got into the marijuana one way or the other, but I, I did see, I, you know, it, it, but, I, but I kept thinking, okay, I, I sit in these, these, you know, once or twice a week in these rooms with these, these cancer patients and stuff and, and watch people deal with this terrible dreaded disease, and it's all about... Okay, if you can make somebody's experience a little bit better and maybe help their appetite or help them sleep or, or you know, uh, ease the nausea, why not? Right, right, yes. And, and I appreciated uh, Mark's comment right. uh, about the pharmaceutical industry, something to think about. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Again, I'm not, I, I, I'm not in favor of legalizing pot. I, I'm not. And I guess I just don't necessarily think... The, the, one of the, the one of the arguments that people of good faith make about this is that if okay if, if you allow medical marijuana dispensaries this is going to be the equivalent of you know what they do in Colorado or whatever it's, it's going to be equivalent of legalizing marijuana I don't I don't think that I mean and keep in mind we're we're, we're not going to be a trailblazer here there's already what 28 states and the District of Columbia that allow medical marijuana in some form and obviously. If you would go down this route, you know, you, you'd want to appropriately regulate it. You know, you'd want to have the various controls that are on it. So I'm not saying this is all, sudden, all of a sudden you turn this into a stoner's haven. It's just, okay, if you're, if you're dealing with this, I mean, is there a compelling reason not to? Um, let's talk to uh, Dr. Fisher in Oshkosh. Good morning. Hi, this is Dr. Al Fisher in Oshkosh. Hi. And I- just think everybody should know that we do have medical marijuana available in Wisconsin. It's called Marinol. It's right. a tablet. Right. And this is man. This is man-made. That's my understanding. Right. It's still the same substance, though. And um, if we legalize the smoked form or make it legal for medical use, it it will legitimize this form of marijuana, and we will have people coming in asking for prescriptions for it for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, but doctor, aren't those people aren't those people the ones that are aren't they the still they're going out on the street and getting it now anyways. I mean, do you really think that and unfortunately, I mean, you you can buy marijuana on pretty much any street corner. Do you think that that the people who want to smoke dope recreationally are going to go to all the trouble to try to get to try to get prescriptions for medical marijuana? Well, I've heard reports from California that mm-hmm. that there are young people going in and say, I just don't feel good or I feel anxious. Right. And they get a prescription for the smoke form of marijuana. Right. It's considered legal. Yeah. So I, in- I, don't, I don't support going anywhere beyond what we have now with Marinol. Right. I think that will address all these problems. Well, I, you know, except all, and look, and again, I, I quickly get beyond my depth on this, but my, my understanding is that Marinol, there, there's two, Marinol and there's one other that's this legal as well. The, the, they contain a man-made form of, of THC. My understanding is there's lots of controversy in the medical industry about whether this man-made THC is as effective as, uh, you know, as effective as the smoked version is question mark i don't have all the research on okay. that but i don't see any reason why it wouldn't be just as effective it is, it is the same chemical okay. compound what uh your what would i be fair to say that your biggest objection would be you think this would lead to to more people more people becoming potheads would that is that essentially it 
I think it would be contributing to their habit because they will come into the doctor's office asking for prescriptions. Okay. Okay. Uh, it'll oh. just be for like anything. It won't be for cancer treatment. Right. It'll be because they just don't feel right. Got it. Okay. Well, I appreciate the perspective. I, I you know, I and I guess th- this is you 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 make the, you make the case, and you are right that there are. Right now, my understanding is there's two legal alternatives. These are pills that contain a man-made form of THC, which is the main chemical in marijuana. Um, a lot of the stuff I've read said that this just isn't anywhere near as effective as, in many cases, as the, the smoke stuff. And I guess that's what people are going to have to decide, is that if, if you allowed medical marijuana, would that cause a huge spike in the number of people who are using marijuana. And I guess, see, I, I, I've always, I, I believe that if you legalized pot, there's no question more people would smoke pot because I, I do think the criminal laws uh, provide a, a deterrent to that. So I think that's the case. I have to tell you, though, and I just, I'm not convinced at all that just because you legalize medical marijuana would result in some sort of huge spike about use because my guess is a lot of people who want to smoke dope, they're, they're getting it anywhere, and they're probably getting better and high quality, higher quality and more potent marijuana when they're out there buying it on the streets. At least that's my indication. I would like to see in the 28 other states that already have legalized marijuana, have they had an explosion of people going into doctor's offices and trying to, and, and trying to get you know, dope or get trying to get marijuana through the prescription process. I, I just intuitively, I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. Because, like I say, if you've got a 16 year old that wants to smoke pot, they've got a lot of avenues where they can go and buy the pot without having to go to to the doctor's office and get it dispensed. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but that's certainly something that you would look at. But I guess bottom line is, I come down on the side of for people who are ill. I want, especially people who are terminally ill. I want to do everything we possibly can to ease their suffering. Uh, at period. And so, if you want to legalize medical marijuana, but only put you know put certain constraints on it as to what sort of conditions it can be you know applied to and used. Okay, I, I would be cool with that. But I do think this is something that we shouldn't just be saying no, no, no as a knee jerk reaction. All right, next. Big thing number three, the NCAA takes on North Carolina over bathrooms. Stick around. 919, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 922, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The legend, the icon, the piano man is coming to Green Bay this summer. Want to win tickets to see Billy Joel at Lambeau Field on June 17th? Be listening to my show all this week for your chance to win a pair of tickets. And let me give you a heads up. Sometime between now and 10 o'clock. Sometime between now and 10 o'clock, I am going to be giving away a pair of tickets to go see Billy Joel. The tickets go on sale on Friday, but you don't need to wait till Friday. Um, I'm going to be giving away a pair of tickets today and the rest of the week. But, but, if you don't win the tickets for me, you can head to WTMJ.com to enter to win a premium pair of tickets for the show right now. Now, I'm just giving away a regular pair of tickets, but they're free, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to be pretty darn good. But also a chance to win a premium pair of tickets for the show right now at WTMJ.com. Now, Hondo, who's producing the show today. All right. We, yesterday, when we were doing the Billy Joel thing, we used the, the Uptown Girl music. That was, of course, he saw a song he wrote about Christy Brinkley. Did you see? Christy Brinkley is going to be in Sports Illustrated in the Swimsuit Magazine. Uh, yes, Christy Brinkley, who is like 62 um, Hondo says, I'm sure she looks amazing. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. On top of that, she, she's posing. She's posing. She's in a swimsuit. She's with her 31-year-old daughter from Billy Joel, who's in a swimsuit. And she's with her other daughter, who's like 17 or 18. From, so it's, it's Christy Brinkley, her 31-year-old daughter, and then her like 17 or 18-year-old daughter. Um, yes, yes. And she, look, she, looks, she looks amazing. There's no question about it. I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't have the magazine, but I, I did see at least one of the pictures. But, um, yeah, that's one where next time you go to the barber shop, hopefully they'll have the swimsuit edition of that. But Christy Brinkley. Former Miss, uh, that's, I'm sorry, the Billy Joel thing got me distracted there. Uh, but sometime between now and the top of the hour, I'll give away a pair of tickets. Big thing number three, the NCAA, and I am not a fan. I, I love I love basketball. I love the men's basketball tournament. Um, going to the Marquette game tonight. NCAA has decided that it is, apparently, it is on the verge of blackballing the state of North Carolina for years now, the NCAA, for example, the tournaments, the first round of the tournament, first two rounds of the tournament are going to be at the Bradley Center this year. They they designate where you're going, you know, they, they pick sites. Um, North Carolina is a basketball hotbed. You've got, you know, Duke, you've got University of North Carolina, you've got North Carolina State, um, and those regions have hosted lots and lots of NCAA tournament games. Uh, the NCAA apparently is on the verge of completely back blackballing North Carolina. That is the state because of the state law, which essentially says that bathrooms should be for people of the, their own gender. In other words, you know, we, we, we don't want males going into the female bathrooms even if they self-identify as females. The NCAA has decided that they find that this is discriminatory, and so the way they are going to retaliate is by saying, all right, if you don't change your law, we are we are not going to put first-round NCAA basketball games. Um, we're not going to have them in Greensboro. We're not going to have them in Charlotte. We're not going to have them anywhere in the state. And as a result, you are going to lose out on millions and millions of dollars. All right. I'm a fan of NCAA basketball, but this is one, I, again, I think reasonable people can disagree on this whole issue of bathrooms. I, I think in many respects it got way more attention than it needed to in the last year. And I also understand that transgender people using bathrooms is a little bit of a different issue than transgender people using locker rooms. You will never convince me that a 16-year-old boy, who is biologically a boy, should be standing in a locker room changing clothes next to a 15- or 16-year-old biological girl. You will never convince me that that is the right thing. Bathrooms are different, I guess, because you've got stalls and things like that. But the NCAA is trying to use its economic clout to try to force North Carolina to change its policy. You can disagree with the policy. But in my opinion, the NCAA is way out of line. They are a sports organization. They are not social justice warriors. And this idea that you get a bunch of politically correct, pinheaded bureaucrats who try to make social justice points and try to use the economic power of the NCAA to do it, I think is just fundamentally wrong. Stick to sports. Figure out how to govern sports. Figure out how to deal with the issues that present themselves in sports. 
but stay out of bathrooms. And I think at some point in time, the pendulum might swing. And right now, the NCAA is on the side of political correctness, and they're getting all sorts of favorable publicity. I think at some point in time, the political pendulum might swing, and the NCAA, well, they they might learn their lesson. So big thing number three, NCAA reportedly on the verge of blackballing North Carolina over, over this issue. I think the NCAA would back off. All right. I understand that people may be involved in what we will call mixed marriages. There was a time, there was a time when that had a different meaning. But now the phrase mixed marriage means he's a Democrat and she's a Republican. Or he's a Republican and she's a Democrat. Here's a story up uh, Here's a story from Reuters. And when I first saw the headline, I was thinking, is this fake news? But I, I, I don't think so. Here's the story. Burning passions over Donald Trump's presidency are taking a to- personal toll on both sides of the political divide. For Gail McCormick, it was particularly wrenching. She has separated from her husband of 22 years. The retired California prison guard, a self-described Democrat leaning towards socialist, was stunned when her husband casually mentioned during a lunch with friends last year that he planned to vote for Trump. A revelation she described as a deal breaker. It totally undid me that he could vote for Trump, said McCormick, 73, who had not thought of leaving the conservative Republican before, but felt betrayed by his support for Trump. Then it goes on to talk three months after the most divisive election in modern U.S. politics, fractured families and upended relationships. A number of Americans say emotional wounds are as raw as ever and show few signs of healing. Um, A poll done by Reuters um, that just concluded January 18th shows the number of respondents who argued with family and friends over politics um, six percentage points higher than a pre-election poll. 16% say they have stopped talking to a family member or a friend because of the election. Uh, That edged higher to 20-some percent among those who voted for Democrat Hillary Clinton. Overall, 13% of respondents said they had ended a relationship with a family member or a friend over the election compared to 12% in October. Um, And then it goes on to talk about people. This woman left her husband of 22 years because even though they knew they had political differences, you know, she was a Democrat, he was a conservative Republican, so my guess is they've had lots of discussions over the years. She left him because he voted for Trump. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is this crazy? Or do you understand this? If if you were with somebody who, for example, had a completely divergent political view, oh, my gosh, Trump is going to be the end of civilization, would you really leave your husband for that? Or is maybe that just a pretext for other bigger problems? Because I have to tell you, and again, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on this, people disagree on all sorts of things. The idea that you would leave a spouse of 22 years because your spouse chose to vote in a different fashion than you did is just, it is just incredibly alien to me. 
I mean, have we really gotten that worked up? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. And I guess the broader picture is, and again, I, I mean, I understand you, you defriend folks on Facebook and people get worked up about that. But when it comes to your spouse, when it comes to your kids, when it comes to family members, has it really been that divisive? Can you understand how? I mean, I get that people get worked up, but she left her husband, she says. Let's start with Jerry downtown. Jerry, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, my encounter is that I had two dear friends who dropped me as a friend after the election because they were so depressed and troubled by it that that so-called Christian people, 81%, would vote for a Donald Trump. And um, as a result, um, they couldn't handle my friendship anymore, so I was dropped. How, how, how long have these people been your friends? Um, probably oh, 25 years. Wow. So seriously, I mean, you lost seriously. friends of two and a half decades yeah. simply because they disagreed with you right. on, on this. Now, my guess is also, Jerry, that... You, you've had political disputes in, in the past. There's been some disagreement, but this was the one that put it over the top, huh? Well, we avoided political conversation because I already knew their position right. and they knew mine. However, um, you know, it just <laughs> happened so suddenly. I just I couldn't believe that that rational, good, caring people would come to this conclusion and act so badly. Um, wow. It no. stunned me. It was, no, it is, I mean, it is It is stunning. And I guess, that's why I said, when I first saw this story, I was thinking, this is fake news. But I, I don't think so. I, I think I, I think this is the case. I mean, they were married for 22 years. Um, okay, she's not, I get, okay, you, you, you're leaving him because he keeps leaving his underwear on the floor. I get that. But, you know, he, he voted for somebody different than you chose, and, and that's... Knowing that, by the way, for 22 years, I presume you've known that he's been a Republican. That's that's what you're going to do. Um, let's talk to Mandy on the north side. Mandy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I love this topic. Thanks. So my husband and I usually vote complete opposite to the point where we joke with each other. Don't forget to vote on Wednesday. <laughs> right. Um, or, or, I, or, or if he votes first, you got to run down and make sure you cancel out his vote. Right. Exactly, Got exactly. It. So this has been since, I mean, we've dated for about 10 years, married for three, and um, he actually voted for Trump this past election. And, you know, much to his, you know, liberal ca- ca- Chicago family, right. very upset about it. And I and I voted for someone else, um, actually a third party. And okay. so it, it's been an ongoing thing, but our marriage is more important than who we voted for because we recognize that you know, right. a vote is for one person, but there's so much more dynamic than just that one person. Yeah, I, mean, so, I know. Okay, I know. I know you. You said you only been married for three years, but you've been together for twelve. My guess is, um, my guess is that um, you, he probably voted for President Obama, and you probably voted for either John McCain or for Mitt Romney, right? In fact, um, when uh, Paul Ryan was on the ballot twice, I right. was very disappointed when I moved to Milwaukee that I couldn't vote for Paul Ryan twice, right. <laughs> because he was also, you know, right. representative and vice president. Um, so, you know, I've kind of held that over his head, you know, as a running joke right. um, about moving to Milwaukee. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's just part of it. And right. I think if you, if you only identify 
a person as who they voted for, you're missing out on so much more of that person. And it's really, really shallow. Do you discuss politics with your husband or is there a point in time where you just kind of both sort of pull away and say, let's talk about something different? We we actually do discuss politics quite a bit. Um, My problem is he gets a little too sarcastic and he'll like say something. I'm like, is that? funny are you trying to make a point yeah. so it's usually me getting upset i'm like okay what are we having for dinner you know, so we, we, right we do we do discuss it quite a bit we, right. we do agree to disagree right. um you know i think the important thing is that you know we may be different ends of the spectrum but we want the same thing right. you know we really we, we love america we're very proud to be american it's just we have different um, right. perspectives on how the best thing to go about doing it. And so. my guess is, if he ever goes too far, your line is, okay, see that couch? Okay, here, here's the pillows, here's the couch, you know, <laughs> just just go go enjoy yourself, hon. I'll see you in a day or two, huh? Yep. 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 I'm going to go to the gym. I'll see you later. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Well, some, see, some thanks for going. Sometimes you need to kind of walk away. Elmer and Racine, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hello. Hello. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, hi, good morning, Jeff. Uh, maybe it's better that they do separate because that way he isn't going to be miserable the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't. You, if she was willing to walk away from him, you you don't think that she would be willing to like suffer in silence? You mean if they stayed together, she'd be ragging on his on his chunky butt every morning of his life? You voted for Trump, you know. Yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like to me, you know. Uh well, there you you have a you have a point. I mean, I guess that's I guess see. The whole thing is just so, so mind-boggling, you know, to me, because, I mean, I understand how people have very strong political opinions, and I understand that, you know, if if you're in, if you can't walk away, how that kind of wears on you. But, you know, I have an email here from Terry who writes, it's quite obvious that these people have had marriage problems for quite some time and are using this as an excuse to get the divorce instead of working out the real problem in their marriage. See, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I, that's, I, that hits me. You're not, I don't think. I mean, for goodness sake, you've got, you know, James Carville and his wife, Mary Madeline. I mean, you know, you, you can... You can stay married to somebody who has a different political opinion of you, a position than yours, as long as you agree on other sorts of things. My guess is for this lady, my guess is this might have been like the excuse, maybe the straw that broke the camel's uh, back. But, um, you know, still, what can you do? It is 945. Lots of stuff coming up, including uh, a vote on the new Secretary of Education should be coming along sometime in the next hour or two. Some people are upset. Stick around. 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Are conservatives who oppose the election of Donald Trump now fearing retribution from the White House? Find out what President Trump has to say in his own words during WTMJ today at 1235 in less than 15 minutes. I've got a story about a girl who wanted to play basketball with the boys and how the decision to push that has now kind of blown up in her face. We're going to talk about it. It's a fascinating story. Speaking about like like unhinged reactions to things like candidly i appreciate that you know politics can get can get a little bit messy and i appreciate how people can get kind of wrapped up into arguments but like we were saying i do not understand how you leave your husband of 22 years simply because he indicates that he voted for donald trump i mean really all right here's the, here's the latest example of that toby keith hondo you know toby keith big time country performer big superstar um although 
this is th- th- I'm not sure how this tells you I'm not sure how whether this is a sign that your career is doing well or not. Toby Keith is booked on June 30th to headline the main stage at the Naperville Rib Fest, <laughs> sponsored by the Exchange Club of Naperville. N- now, with with all due respect, again to to the Exchange Club of Naperville and Rib Fest, you wonder if you're to- if you're Toby Keith, you wonder kind of how your career is working if if that's it. But but. But that's not the story. It's not that Toby Keith is playing uh, the Rib Fest in, in Naperville. Uh, it is that Toby Keith playing Rib Fest at Naperville has become controversial. You see, because Toby Keith, um, he performed you know, at the inauguration. He also, um, you know, he's also played at various events for President George W. Bush and for Barack Obama. He's done hundreds of USO shows in Iraq and in Afghanistan. But he's now, he also, again, he, he performed at, at the inauguration. So after Ribfest in Naperville announced that he was going to perform, apparently this has created this huge controversy because, again, he performed at the Trump pre-inauguration concert in Washington. And social media has exploded as people are saying, well, th- this, is, this is appalling. You know, how, how can you put Toby Keith on the stage? Now, this event, you know, it's designed to raise money to help eliminate child support and domestic violence. But um, apparently organizers are, are getting all this feedback, including from a lot of people who will never go to the Rib Fest in Naperville, who are appalled that um, they would be able to use, that, that they would use, I mean, Toby Keith to play at this thing. Somebody says, well, uh, they're quoting in the Chicago Tribune, some woman says that I'm not attending this year's event. I vote with my pocketbook. My money will be going to a different charity this year. How dare they? How dare they? Use Toby Keith because he played at the Trump pre-inauguration concert. All right, is that really the standard that we're going to be using now? I mean, all right, Lady Gaga, big-time lefty. The the, the election night, you know, she's in New York City jumping on trucks, holding signs about how she's appalled by Donald Trump. Is that now the standard that, all right, she shouldn't have been allowed to perform at the Super Bowl because she was a supporter of Hillary Clinton and therefore she's too polarizing? It is interesting the way that this, this, this appears to cut, you know, just one way. If you are a conservative performer, well, okay, expect to be blackballed. People are going to be outraged. If you're a liberal performer, it's, well, okay, you're a liberal performer. Bottom line is um, people at the Rib Fest in Naperville, right, at least right now, they appear to be sticking to their guns. And my guess is that they're going to probably have a full house for the event, even if some of these whiners on social media decide no. All right, coming up next. The Secretary of Education appears to be confirmed, will be confirmed this morning, but not after a large fight. 953, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You might be surprised to find out who's supporting tougher drunk driving laws in Wisconsin. Uh, State Representative Jim Ott discusses the unusual partnership and what they might want to see change on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.51 today. All right, thanks to Harry Reid, who changed the rules. It used to be that before you could get a vote in the U.S. Senate, you needed to have 60 senators agree to end debate and agree to essentially end a filibuster. 
Harry Reid changed the rules for a number of different appointees, including federal judges other than the Supreme Court and cabinet picks. So now it just takes 51 votes or 50 and the vice president. Now, Betsy DeVos is a, a very controversial nominee. She's one of Trump's nominees to be, in this case, the secretary of education. Democrats have decided that they are going to now oppose collectively all the remaining Trump cabinet picks. There's a handful of them, and I, I guess I think in order to sort of suck up to the lefty base, they're going to oppose all of them. Um, that's not going to stop, I think, any of the other cabinet picks from being confirmed uh, because 52 Republicans are going to vote for him, and you just need a majority. Two Republicans have said that they're not going to vote for Betsy DeVos, and, and candidly, she was not she did not give the most inspiring performance when she you know testified at her various hearings still i have always believed that elections have consequences and the president and i felt this way with obama and with bush and with clinton i think unless they are clearly 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 not qualified you got to give them every benefit of the doubt because elections have consequences, and I think the president should get the chance to pick who his cabinet is and who it is that he wants to work with. And in the case of Betsy DeVos, the concern is that, well, you know, she's never worked in public education before, and she has a huge interest in trying to promote, like, voucher schools and things like that. Well, okay, that might not be the worst thing. But in any event, two Republicans have already said they're going to vote against her. So right now it's 50-50. What happens then is the vice president, Mike Pence, gets to cast the deciding vote. The Democrats, even though they cannot filibuster this, they have been on a 24-hour marathon, which is the maximum time limit, giving lengthy speeches and trying to persuade one additional Republican senator to switch their vote. Because if you lose one more Republican, then her nomination is going to go down. And I am told that over the last 24 hours, a lot of the left-wing groups have mobilized their constituents, and people are making all sorts of calls to the offices of Republican senators, including Ron Johnson, trying to get them to change their position. There was actually a fake news story out yesterday saying Ron Johnson was considering voting against her. That That is completely and totally untrue. Um, the vote is going to come at 11 o'clock this morning, so in about an hour and two minutes, and at least the way it stands now, um, it appears that it will, by a tie-breaking vote of the Vice President Mike Pence, she will be confirmed. She should be confirmed because, again, she's not clearly unqualified. She's who Donald Trump wants, and I think he deserves the cabinet picks that he chooses. If they end up underperforming, then you hold him accountable. But right now, for the last 24 hours, Democrats have been trying to block this appointment. It does not, at least as of right now, I guess things can change in an hour, but it does not appear that that is going to succeed. Betsy DeVos will be, I predict, the next Secretary of Education. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 1008, coming up in less than a half hour. Just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. I have some advice for Governor Walker. We will discuss that. That's coming up uh, about 1035 or so. This segment of the program, we do this this time every day. I call it dealer's choice, which to me, it, it, it means... I think it might be one of the most, if not the most, talkable topic of the day. Not necessarily the biggest story, but but something that I find to be incredibly interesting that I cannot wait to discuss with you. All right, here's here's the deal. Um, story comes out of of New Jersey. There is a young woman 
she plays on the seventh grade girls basketball team. Her name is Sydney Phillips, and she's apparently a rising star. Um, she's really, really good, and she plays for St. Teresa's Catholic School in Kenilworth, New Jersey. All right, so that's the deal. She's really, really good, and. As she goes into the seventh grade school year, she's looking forward to competing. Apparently, she's played on the team before and really, really good. Maybe has the potential to get scholarships and stuff. I mean, you know, who knows? Seventh grade, it's a long way away. But but she's really, really good. Well, here's the problem. This is, this is of course, a Catholic school. It is a relatively small school. It's not like the public schools that draw from some of these larger bases. So what happens is, before the season starts... They, there's not enough girls that go out for basketball. They do not have enough girls to, to field a team. And so St. Teresa says, okay, we're, we're going to cancel our season. We don't have enough girls to play. You know, we'd field a team, but there's not enough interest. So, boom, we're going to cancel our season. So then what happens is Sydney, the girl, says, all right, I want to play with the boys. You know, there's not a girls team that's here. I want to play with the boys. And the Catholic Archdiocese in the area says, no, um, we, that, that's, look, we're, we're a parochial school, and our feeling is boys play with boys, girls play with girls. Sorry, but you're not going to be allowed on the boys' team. Right? That's the thing. Mom and dad don't want to take no for an answer. So mom and dad file a lawsuit they sue the Catholic school, and they sue the archdiocese, saying, you have to let my daughter play on the basketball team. Now, the lawsuit goes, goes the, the archdiocese defends itself, and the archdiocese end up, ends up winning. Judge looks at this and says, okay, it's a, private, it's a private Catholic school. It is different than a public school. You've got these public accommodation laws that apply to public schools, and if she was a public school student and you brought this lawsuit, it might have some merit, but it's not. It's a private school. They get to make the rules, and if the rules are, you know, no girls on the boys' basketball team, they have the right to do it, so they lose the lawsuit. All right? So that's where it stands now. Here's where it gets complicated. In the handbook and the regulations for the school what it says is that um, there is a policy that parents who sue the school will be asked to remove their children so when you sign your kid up for to the school you send them to catholic school and you get the rules and you agree to this one of the rules are if you sue the school your, your, your kid is going is no longer going to be welcome there. And their justification for this is when you bring a lawsuit uh, against us, it, it's divisive. It also is going to cost us all sorts of money to defend it. So that, that's one of the things. If you sue us, one of the conditions that you got to understand is that your, your child is going to be removed from school. Your family is not going to be allowed to send children to our school. So they sue over the fact that their kid isn't allowed to play on the boys' basketball team, they lose. They get a letter then from the school saying that the Archdiocese of Newark has decided to expel both Sydney and her younger sister, who's a 15-year-old, who's a fifth-grade student, saying they're no longer welcome at the school, citing, again, this handbook policy that says that parents who sue the school will be asked to remove their, their children. Um, Dad, 
goes ballistic. Dad is just disgusted. He said, they did nothing wrong. This is the church. This is the archdiocese. They should be ashamed of themselves. So Dad refuses to take no for an answer. So he shows up the next day with his daughters for school, and they're met by the church pastor, the associate pastor, the school principal, and three local police officers who say, they're not welcome here. They're not going to be allowed in. So then dad runs to court and sues the school again, saying that he sh- they should not be allowed to expel the kids because he sued the school in the first place. Got it? 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Okay, school handbook says if you sue the school, your children are subject to being expel they are not welcome they will not be welcome at the school guy sues the school over this basketball policy the school tosses the kids now he is back in court saying they shouldn't be allowed to do this who's right who's wrong 414-799-1620-800-877-1620 that's the acunet mortgage toll-free talk line is the school overreaching the dad says hey it's it's not my daughters didn't sue it was me that sued their they're bearing the brunt of this. This is awful. The school should not toss them out simply because I chose to sue the school on my daughter's behalf. Who's right? Who's wrong? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1014. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So delighted to have you with us. Is it possible to have too much city development? One local community is concerned about that very thing. Get the details during WTMJ today, two oh seven this afternoon. All right, school, little uh, Catholic school out in New Jersey. They have a policy that says that says if you sue the school, your kids are no longer welcome here. So sixth grade girl going into seventh grade, she wants to play on the girls' basketball team. The girls' basketball team has to disband because there's not enough interest. Dad then sues to have her have the right to play on the boys' basketball team. Dad loses. It's a Catholic school. Judge says, no, I mean, they get to, they get to make the rules. All right. The school then says, all right, you know, you have now sued us. Our rule says if you sue us, the kids are not welcome. They expel the kids. Is this reasonable or not? 414-799-1620. Jake in Caledonia. Jake, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? I, I think they should run and not wash another school. Nothing good will come of this. If they win in court, they're going to have uh, legal bills. The girls will never have a fair shake at the school. They'll be treated poorly. Just get out of that environment. Um, do you think the school is wrong in trying? Do you think the school is wrong in expelling the girls because they sued? Yeah, I, I think they uh, they they taken the heart. They're upset that mm-hmm. they pushed the issue first of all with the uh, not playing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they are, and I think they're probably also upset with the fact that there there is a cost when you you hire lawyers and you sue them, and they decide that they're going to defend. Here you have probably some struggling archdiocese that's got to hire their lawyers and defend this thing in court. And that's I'm sure that's why the school and why the archdiocese has this policy. You know, you don't have to send your kids here. If you decide you're going to, we don't want to be fighting you in court. Exactly. That's my point exactly, where it's going to cost more money now to go to court to try to stay in the school. 
Um, if exactly. they prevail, it's gonna, they're going to be treated poorly. Right. Thanks to call 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Greg writes, while I think there would have been no harm in letting the girl play on the boys' team, at the same time, the dad sounds like a, a psycho. I couldn't have imagined my parents suing the school in either instance and... After the first lawsuit, who would even want to send their kids there anymore? 414-799-1620 is the number. Tim in Racine. Tim, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I am, I completely disagree with the parents. Uh, they knew what they were getting into when they sent their kids to the school. I'm sure they right. were told about the clause of having if there was a suit. And oh, yeah. The other thing is the dad should be thinking of the poor kids. Uh, if I was a kid, I wouldn't want to face the teachers after my dad took the school and the teachers to court. I mean, the guy's just an egghead. He apparently wants it his own way. He wants to write his own rules. And sorry, but it's a private institution. They have a right to make the rules. Right. You see, thanks for calling. See, I, I agree. I mean, I, I agree with this. And, and, like, one other detail. My understanding is the school, when, when, the, when the girls' team disbanded, Apparently, the school tried to place her on another another school's team so she could play with girls, and, and that didn't work. Other school, it, it did not work for whatever reason. So, I mean, I, I feel bad that the girl do, doesn't have you know a place to play. And I think maybe reasonable people can argue that there wouldn't have been any harm in letting her play with the boys. All right, but that's not really the point. The point is. And I think the school, I think the Catholic school, gets the right to, to make its rules. And if they decide, hey, boys' teams are for boys, girls' teams are for girls, they have the right to do it. If you don't like it, well, there's all sorts of options you have, including pulling your kids out of the Catholic school and sending them to the public school where under, I mean, under exact same circumstances, yeah, she would have been allowed to play with the boys if it was a public school. But it's it's not a public school. And there's no secret that they say, hey, we don't want you suing us. Now, one of the reasons they don't want them being sued is, like I say, you, you've got these schools that are typically you know, struggling to try to make ends meet and things like that, and they don't want to be they don't want they want to discourage getting involved in, in litigation and being sued by parents over issues like this over their right to make the rules. So you know up front when you make the decision as a parent on behalf of your kids that you're going to sue, you know what some consequences might be. Now, the dad is out there saying, well, it's not fair to take it out on, on my kids. Well, okay, maybe dad should have thought of that because dad was the one that started this whole process. Let's talk to uh, Colleen in Janesville. Colleen, you're on 620 WTMJ. Colleen. Oh, I'm sorry, David. I hit the wrong button. David and Raymond. Damon, David, you're first. Yeah, hi. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Yeah, um, I, I think it was silly for the school to uh, kick the kid out. You wouldn't even, have done it, okay. Yeah, even, even though they, they may have had a legal right, exercising, uh, you know, a legal right or may not be the wisest thing to do. It, as I often say, uh, they might have had a right to do it, but you don't think it was the right thing to do. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, having there's, said that, though, do you think... I, I think there's an issue of discretion and application of wisdom. Um, well, right, and and again, this I, it, thanks for call. This this does potentially make the school look bad because I I don't know how members of the community, uh, the, the church community, feel about this. Is this going to be seen as picking on a fifth grade girl and a seventh grade girl because their father pushed this? I, I mean, I, I don't know, and it certainly could. I guess it certainly could backfire on 
on the school and on the archdiocese if public opinion really turns against them. But but having said that, th- to me, the bad guy here is the dad. And and again, I th- if you decide that you're going to go down this route and you're going to sue, knowing that there are certain consequences that can kick in, well, then how can you be surprised that – how can you be surprised that those consequences play out? Joan in East Troy. Joan, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Joan. Um, I had a similar situation with my daughter, um, and when she, she played basketball all the way from, like, third or fourth grade and got to eighth grade at Catholic school, and there wasn't enough for a team. Right. So what we did is we just took her to a, another Catholic school 10 miles away, and she played with them. But I definitely think the parents are, they overstep their boundaries here. I mean, especially if you belong to a small parochial school. Right. I mean, it's, nothing good is going to happen after this. No one's going to look at this, these children the same way, unfortunately. And, and it's, it's just not fair to the kids. So in, in your daughter's situation, okay, there, there's not enough girls to play basketball. It never occurred to you to sue the school trying to get your daughter to play on the boys' basketball team. No, that was never a thought, never a thought. I mean, there are so many other Catholic schools around. We had a few of them calling and asking for the girls to come play with them, the two that wanted to. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's not a good thing. And these Catholic schools, Catholic churches around here, like you say, you can't afford a lawsuit. It's just not right. something we, you want to deal we, with. Which is why they have the policy there saying, okay, if you sue us, all right, fine, you know, your your children are not going to be welcome here. That's one of the consequences you have of bringing the lawsuit. So, you know, you know, think think twice, think three times before you end up doing this. That's and, and I think that's a fair policy to have. Now, whether they should make an exception, that's another thing, but I don't think it's an unreasonable policy, I guess. No, definitely not. You have to, you know, and everyone has to follow the rules. If it's in the handbook, then we all need to follow the rules and um. Right. No, thanks. See, I, I mean, it seems to me the way you handled it was, was the perfect way. Now, the update on this story is, okay, after the child gets, the children get expelled, dad goes back to court and sues the school again, alleging that they should not have been able to expel his daughters. And the, the last news I have is that within the last day or so, you had a, a judge in New Jersey who issued a temporary restraining order blocking the school temporarily from tossing out the kids. So the kids temporarily were allowed to go back to school. But, I mean, I agree with the general sentiment of everybody who's called in. Who, who wants to put the kids in a situation like this anyways? Because you know best-case scenario, it is now a very divisive situation, thanks to the dad, because there's going to be a lot of parents who might be supportive, but there's going to be other parents who are going, hey, you know, you are you have just cost us a lot of money by pursuing this thing. How it turns out, I'm, I'm not sure, but again, you have to think before you do these sort of things, and I guess in this particular case, while I might have not done it if I were the principal of the school, I'm not sure that the school is wrong, especially from a legal basis. All right, if Governor Walker were to ask me for some advice, I would suggest he not do something that the Journal Sentinel says he is about to do. We'll discuss in a couple minutes. It's 1027. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Are conservatives who oppose the election of Donald Trump now fearing retribution from the White House? Find out what President Trump has to say in his own words during WTMJ Today at 1235. All right, let me back into this next discussion. Uh, If 
if you listen to our radio station or other radio stations, you will hear from time to time, you will hear different trips that are being advertised where some of the personalities go go on the trip. Uh, John McCure does a lot of trips. I know it does. Gene Miller, I think, does them. Years and years ago, I did them. I, I stopped doing them for a variety of reasons. But typically what ha- – and, and other personalities do it you know, across the, the dial – Typically, what will happen is the, the way these things work, and I hope I'm not giving too much stuff away, is the, the travel company will make a deal with the, the broadcaster, the radio station, the TV station, or whatever, to give them the ability to use whoever it is that works, whoever's going to take the trip. Um, they'll buy some advertising to help promote the trip, and typically, the, the personality who is going on the trip, they get their trip paid for. That's typically how it works. You know, maybe maybe they get to bring along a guest or a spouse or whatever. But that's typically how how this works. And, and the idea is when these things work out well, it works out great for the travel company because you have listeners or viewers or readers or whatever who decide, hey, we're going to go on this trip because we're going to be with uh, people who it, it, we've got uh, who have a commonality of interest. They watch the TV station. They listen to the radio station. And presumably people like the hosts. The, whoever the personality is, there's always some interaction that goes on with the people on the trip. And, and the benefit for the radio station or the TV station is the company buys advertising. The benefit for the company is that you know that they presumably you know sell trips. And the benefit for the personality is that you, you get the trip. All right, so that's that's how it works, and it is a commonplace thing in in radio. I mean that that it happens all up and down the dial. All right, Dan Vice who has been upset, who writes for the Journal Sentinel, who has been obsessed with David Clark lately, um, and even in this piece found a way to work in a dig at Clark. But but he he finally gets off the one note of David Clark, and he has a piece that's at least up on the online edition of the paper about Scott Walker. So here's the deal. Uh, let me read a portion of the story. Thinking about a trip to the Dells or Door County this summer, or maybe even booking a vacation to Disney? Well, Governor Scott Walker has a better idea. The governor and First Lady Tanette Walker are planning to host an inspirational cruise to Alaska on August 12th, along with a small group of evangelical Christian leaders and musicians. The trip, which would be run by Inspiration Cruises and Tours, would cost somewhere between $1,300 and $3,300, depending on the size of the cabin and its view. The trip would feature, uh, Walker Promises, would feature faith, freedom, and family values. Apparently, um, he, he does a message where he says, I want to personally invite you to join me and other special guests on a once-in-a-lifetime cruise to Alaska. Um, the United States is rich in natural beauty, but wild Alaska is perhaps one of the most scenic parts of our nation, if not the world. Um, the people organizing the trip say, hey, we went to the, the governor. We approached him. We thought he'd be a good speaker on values and the public square. And they have other you know, guests as well that would fit into that same thing. Uh, the, the guy putting together the trip, if it happens, said the governor and his wife would not have to pay for the trip because he is being invited to attend as a speaker. He said Walker's office had been in contact with state ethics officials to make sure the arrangement was permissible under state law. Organizer says, if we invite them to speak, we would pay for the trip. We wouldn't pay them anything. There's nothing they would receive. Well, I mean, yes and no. What they would receive is the free trip. So, I mean, and that's that has a value to it. Apparently, the governor has appropriately sent this over to the State Ethics Commission, and they're going to review it to make sure it complies with state law. Now, of course, 
you have a lot of the usual suspects who are all up in arms. The director of the very left-wing Common Cause of Wisconsin says state law bars state officials from using their office to accept something of value for them and their family. And he argues that, you know, if they don't pay for the entire thing, this would be a violation of the law. Um, guy who runs the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, an ultra a liberal group says the trip appeared to be political and religious, so Walker should not use any tax dollars for the vacation. I don't think there's any tax dollars that are involved in it. It would be, again, he's getting the trip to speak. Now, David Clark um, has been, I mean, he's been on the lecture circuit. I mean, David Clark, Milwaukee County Sheriff, um, as Vice reports, um, he was on a Cayman Islands cruise hosted by National Review in late November the magazine picked up his travel expenses and covered the cost of the cruise, all of which came to about $9,400. So the question becomes, should the governor be allowed, or is it a good idea, for the governor to go on this cruise with his wife? He's going to be a speaker. He's going to be the speaker. In exchange for being the speaker, he, he, gets, he and his wife get the cruise for free. And... Theoretically, he would be part of the marketing campaign for this. Hey, I'm going to be on this cruise. I invite you to join me. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, it is not uncommon for public figures, including office holders, to accept fees and honorara, honorarium for going out and giving speeches. Right? The State Ethics Commission will decide whether or not this is it's appropriate, whether it's a violation of state law. But my question is a broader one, and it's not necessarily just directed to the governor. But should public officials, whether it's the governor, whether it's a senator, whether it's a congressman, whether it's a sheriff, whether it's a state representative, a state senator, a county board member, what do you think about the idea of current office holders engaging in arrangements like this where clearly they are receiving some benefit by being invited to speak? And, you know, would would Scott Walker be getting the invitation if he weren't currently the governor? Is, is this no harm, no foul? What do you think about it? And again, the State Ethics Board is going to decide whether or not there's any problems. My guess is they're going to decide no, because like I say, David Clark's been taking cruises and collecting big fees for, for a while, or at least high-valued you know trips. Is this something that you think elected officials, is it a good idea for them to do it? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, clearly, like I say, this is something that, you know, happens in the radio industry all the time. Radio personalities go on cruises. Radio personalities go on trips to here, there, or, or the other. This is not an unusual arrangement when it comes to media personalities. You have cruises that feature bands and things like that. It's not unusual at all in the private sector. When it involves public sector people, though, when it involves elected officials, is it different? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1042. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1042. 
44, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Dan Bice, Journal Sentinel, reporting that uh, Governor Walker is apparently signed on to this this cruise operator who's you know going to be selling things for an Alaskan cruise to occur in, in August. Governor Walker is billed as one of the speakers on the cruise. Uh, presumably, you know, his presence would be a draw to encourage other people to attend the cruise. Um, in exchange for him going and speaking, he ends up getting the, the cruise for free, probably a value of somewhere, I don't know, between between him and his wife, somewhere, I don't know, three grand, four grand, five grand. They've referred it to the state ethics board for an opinion as to whether this is legit or not. And un- undoubtedly, if the ethics board comes back and says, no, they, they won't go, my guess is the ethics board is going to say it's okay. But even having said that, does, does stuff like this bother you? And I, again, I hate to pick on Governor Walker for this, but it does kind of raise this larger issue. Let's start with Dick and Grafton. Dick, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I'm actually out driving around, and I think Washington County, and everybody should have their lights on. The fog is so dead. Right. I'm needing cars without lights. Well, anyway, I don't have a problem with this. I don't think Scott Walker's the first no. elected public official nope. to have you know be in a situation. Um, I told uh, your screener that when I first saw the ad for it, I saw Scott's picture, realized what he was doing. I thought, I wonder how long it will take for the usual suspects right. <laughs> to be up in arms. And, and I'm sure that if we go back through, uh, we can find that uh, Jim Doyle did a few of the similar things, maybe not the exact thing. Right. Oh, oh, no, I have no doubt. And my my guess is you could go back and look at the history of some Milwaukee mayors who were, you know, attending, were paid to attend conferences um, and give speeches or, you know, were invited to give a speech to some private organization somewhere across the country and, you know, got to stay at the resort for the week. No, this is not, I I, I agree with you, this is not unusual. And singling out Walker is, I think, unfair. But let me ask you the larger question. I mean, assuming everybody does it, just for the sake of argument, does that does that make it right, or or sh- should public officials be able to do this while they're in office? I think that they should be. Uh, I, I don't think that that by being elected to a public office, you're you're taking some kind of a uh, I don't know what you'd call it a vow of chastity or a vow of poverty or a vow of of, of not being in the public eye. I, I think for an elected public official to get out of their office and go and see people, I think that there's value in that for that elected public official. Well, I, I see, think- I agree with everything you've said, except except you're, you're also, you're, you're essentially being paid, you know, by an outside party. I mean, I guess the question becomes, you know, would somebody... If you, if whether it's Scott Walker or David Clark or Jim Doyle or John Norquist, and their their name is one of the things that's being used to help sell a, a cruise, it, it, are are they trading in on? Are they trading on their position as an elected official? Well, they probably are, but I'm not exactly sure that there's a an amendment in the Constitution right. or a law. That, that precludes that. It's not any different than uh, a, a civic organization like Rotary having its annual meeting or the Chamber having its annual meeting and saying that uh, uh, Rebecca Playfish is going to be speaking. She's been invited to speak, or the governor's been invited to speak, right. or Lena Taylor's been invited right. to speak. Uh, it, it's it's going to build the uh, it's going to build the uh, the attendance, and, and if. And if an uh, elected public official who's 
who's from the southern part of the state, is invited to Ashland or Superior to speak at any kind of a meeting or conference, I would hope that totally if their expenses get paid, yeah. They're gonna, if their expenses get paid, they might, you know, that, that group might charter a jet and fly them up there and fly them back home and, well, you know, bring your, bring your wife along, or if it happens to be a telemark, it's a two-day deal, yep. you can bring your kids along and, and, uh, you know, okay. you can go see. I, just, I don't see a problem with it. Uh, but so many other things in the world, I mean, I, I wish Dan Bice Okay, thanks for the call, Dick. I appreciate it. 41479, and, and you, you make, and that's why I think I, your example is what I think the State Ethics Board is going to do. I, I, I think this is going to ultimately be held to be okay because of exactly the argument you make. If you've got, if you've got a legislator that is invited to give a presentation, you can make a great example, in Bayfield, and so it, it's, it's some group wants a legislator to speak, it is perfectly reasonable for that group to pay the person's travel expenses. And if an incentive to get them to come, they also say, okay, I know, you know, bring bring your wife along, you know, bring your husband along. And, and that's that is a commonplace type of thing. And that's why I think stuff like this is is going to ultimately determine to be uh, appropriate, because it's not going to be a purely political type of purpose. But I don't know. Is it the same thing if you get invited to, hey, the local Kiwanis Club has invited me to speak, and they're going to give me a meal, um, and that, that which is, of course, a commonplace thing. If you attend the meal, you don't expect that you know the, the person that you've invited as your guest is going to pay for the meal, so you get something. Is that the same as... Okay, nine thousand a $9,000 cruise in the case of, like, like David Clark. And, again, I don't mean to single out Clark. I don't mean to single out Walker. This happens all up and down across the board. I think it is probably ultimately, like I say, going to be determined to be legitimate. But, but does this smack of politicians, if they do this, sort of trading on their elected position for personal benefit? Uh, Larry in West Bend. Larry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um I, the comment that I had for your screener was, uh, you know, the the issue with Scott Walker is that typically he'll travel with bodyguards, state patrol, what have you. Right. Uh, what happens to the uh, bill that we now have as taxpayers have to foot for his his entourage uh, attending this this cruise? If they were, now I don't know that they were, but I, right, I would, right, I I, I think. I mean, I don't know the answer, and I don't know that you'd have bodyguards or something that went. But in that case, I, to me, that's a no-brainer. I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's any way that the taxpayers could be expected or should be expected to pick up the tab for, you know, uh, security people going along accompanying the governor on a cruise. That's that's something that somebody else has to pay for, I would think. We've certainly heard enough about Obama's uh, vacations over the last eight years. Right. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Walker would want to find himself the most. In, in those same uh, that same light. Yeah, exactly. I think, and this is, I guess, to me, this is it is a gray area, and it's kind of an interesting gray area. If I were advising the governor, and again, I don't think, I think the ethics board is going to come out and they're going to say it's okay. That that's my guess again because of that analogy we were talking about earlier. At the same time, it is a gray area. It is something that I think that there's some people, even beyond the fever swamps of the Wisconsin left, even beyond the, you know, we hate Scott Walker, even beyond those suffering from Walker derangement syndrome, I think this is the type of thing that some people might look at and say, you know, it 
you're getting a free Alaskan cruise to be a, a speaker, and the reason you know you are you are a draw in part, not exclusively, but in part is you know because you're the governor of the state of Wisconsin. Whether whether I can say whether it's a mayor of Milwaukee, or whether it's a sheriff of Milwaukee, or whether it's the governor or other people, these these are the types of arrangements that I admit. And I'm I'm not married to like a lot of the goo goo stuff, like the, the crazy people who you know are out there suggesting that everything that you know elected officials, particularly conservative elected officials, do is wrong. This is one. I, I think if I were the governor, I would think long and hard about this because, well, I just even if you have the right to do it, I, I wonder if it creates the right image. Ten fifty three, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. It's 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The legend, the icon, the piano man is coming to Green Bay this summer. Want to win tickets to see Billy Joel at Lambeau Field on June 17th? Be listening to my show all this week. Uh, We gave away the tickets for today, but tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday, we've got more tickets to give away. Be listening to my show all this week for your chance to win a pair of tickets. And head to WTMJ.com to enter to win a premium pair of tickets for the show right now. How cool is that? Um, watching goings-on in Washington, the Senate has been scheduled to vote in about five minutes on the nomination of Betsy DeVos to be the Secretary of Education. It's, it's interesting because there are 52 Republicans, there are 48 Democrats. Two Republicans have said that they are going to vote against her, and, of course, all 48 Democrats are going to vote against her because, well, that's what Democrats are doing now. The idea is we've got to obstruct Donald Trump. Um, if only two Republicans jump ship, that will leave the vote 50 to 50. It will be broken by Mike Pence, the vice president, and she will be become the next secretary of education. So that vote scheduled to take place in just a couple minutes. There has been a 24-hour filibuster, essentially speeches, going on. That's the limit, the time limit on this. It's going to be also interesting because there are a handful of other nominees who remain to be confirmed for the cabinet, um, most notably Jeff Sessions, who is going to be scheduled to be the attorney general. And Senate Democrats have apparently decided this is now going to be the strategy that they're going to employ for all nominees. And let me say this. Betsy DeVos was was a less than inspiring witness when she testified in favor of herself at, at her hearing. Um, she, I, I think that, that did Cause her, her appearance gave people some cause. Having said that, I think elections have consequences, and I said this with Obama, I say it with Trump. I think the president has the right to choose his cabinet, and that, you know, as a general rule, unless they are clearly unqualified, I think the Senate should go along. It's a little bit different than the process of selecting judges. But it appears now that what is going to happen is that with all the remaining cabinet picks, this is the strategy that Senate Democrats are going to employ obstruct, 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 go on, try to drag out the process as long as possible, not because, for example, Jeff Sessions isn't qualified to be the Attorney General of the United States, but rather because you've got this liberal base that's out there who is fired up. They don't want to see you cooperate with the president at all, and this is a way to try to get people on mailing lists so you can raise money later on. So what's going on with DeVos is going to be going on, I think, with some of the other remaining cabinet picks as well. At the end of the day, 
I don't think it is going to succeed. I think that all the Trump cabinet picks, unless something comes out or unless they decide that they're going to um, step down, and I don't see that happening, I, I think that they're all going to be confirmed. But it's, it's going to be kind of a rocky road to get there. But coming up in a few minutes, uh, the Senate is scheduled to vote. I'll check during the break to see if that happens. All right. After that, we did a story this morning on landlines going away. We're going to talk about that. A kid who gets suspended after he is attacked for wearing a Donald Trump hat. And what does it really mean to be made in the USA? That is all coming up. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Senate right now is in the process of voting on the Betsy DeVos appointment to be Secretary of Education. Uh, I don't know how long they have to vote on this. I, I'm watching on C-SPAN, and, and Tammy Baldwin keeps running in and out of the picture. She don't, Obviously, she's probably trying, I think, to organize some of the opposition. I'm pretty sure that's Tammy Baldwin who keeps showing up on there. But uh, right now, unless another Republican defects, the vote will be 50-50, and Mike Pence will break it, and uh, she will be the Secretary of Education. All right, I mentioned in the program yesterday that I'm in the um, I'm in the market for a, a new car. I, I've been actually in the market for a new car for a, a while, and I actually might be in the market for two new cars. But I, I have a I have a 2010 Ford Escape that that's been a wonderful car. It's been a wonderful car, but you know it, it's got about 80,000 miles on it, and it drives just. At, drives just absolutely fine. Do I need a new car? No. But at the same time, I'm having sort of car envy because most of my friends have newer cars. They've got the belt, including my producer, Hondo, who's never shy about throwing this up in my face. But, you know, the newer cars that have the bells and whistles, the backup cameras, the heated seats, all, all that type of stuff. So, I mean, my car is absolutely perfectly fine, but I'm kind of at a point in my life where I, I've, I've driven this car for a while. I can afford a new car. So I, I'm, I'm interested in one. And I, I want to replace this particular vehicle with another small SUV. And so I'm looking at a couple different types. And there's, uh, like, Mazda is, is supposed to debut in April. So, I mean, I've got a list of three or four. But I, I actually want to wait till that comes out because I want to check that out. I want to, uh, would I get a new Ford, another Ford? I think about it. You know, um, I want to look at the Honda, maybe one or two more. But I, I want to go look at, at the choices. Now, one of the things that, that's also out there is I want to support to the extent possible. I mean, I, I want to support American businesses. I mean, I, I think I think made in America is important. I think we should do more than just give this lip service. And you've got the Milwaukee Auto Show that's going to be coming up soon. And one of the things that the automakers, one of the things that automakers are pushing this year is this whole idea of made in, you know, USA. I mean, I'm just looking at the Detroit Auto Show a few weeks ago. You know, General Motors was saying, we have the highest domestic content of any automaker. All right now, I assume that means like parts. Um, Ford says, we are the largest employer of hourly automotive, worker, automotive workers in the U.S. You know, um, Volkswagen, they're saying that, you know, we've just made a $1 billion investment in Chattanooga to produce our sport utility um, vehicles. You know, Honda, I mean, they're talking about, you know, this is the 40th anniversary of their first American plant. The automaker has 12 factories in the U.S. But it, it raises this question, especially when it comes to autos. What, what exactly is, I mean, American-made? Does that mean American-assembled in America? 
Does it mean American parts, but maybe assembled somewhere else? And, and how important should that be in a buying decision? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. If you are in the market for a new car, or at some point in time, you are going to undoubtedly be in the market to, to go out and, and purchase a, a new car. Or maybe you've just recently completed the purchase of a new car. How important to you is that the Made in the USA brand? And again, what, what does that mean? If it's a car that is predominantly American-made parts, that but it's, it's man, manufactured in Mexico, is that made in the USA? If it's primarily a car where the parts come from other places, but it's assembled in the USA, is that made in the USA? How big a deal is made in the USA when it comes to autos in 2017? And if you're making a buying decision, how important a factor is that going to be? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Because I tell you, that I, I really I kind of wrestle with this. I want to support American companies. I want to support American businesses. At the same time, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I want the best value car that I can get. How how do you assess this? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1112. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is a true story. I'm going to... Sometime this spring, I'm, I'm going to replace the SUV I've had since 2010. And I'm looking at a variety of different models, Ford, Honda, Mazda, maybe a couple others. Um, how important should Made in America be? And, and what does that, what exactly does Made in America be, mean? Does that mean it's assembled in America? Does that mean it's an American com- company? Does that mean it could be assembled somewhere else if it's pr- primarily American-made parts? How important is it, and what do you think? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jason in New Berlin. Jason, you're first. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? I am well, thank you. What What, what is made in America, and how important is it to you nowadays? You know, I, I don't even know that it's a significant decision anymore because with the globalization of industries these days, everything's so convoluted. Example, I live in McQuanago, and so the other day I was – in the market for a new level. And at Home Depot, they had an Empire level, which is manufactured in McQuanago. But upon looking, the only thing that's actually manufactured in McQuanago is the little glass vial. The rest of the <laughs> of the level is made overseas. You know, and there's right. such an insignificant amount that's actually made here, but yet they're still able to stamp made in America as a selling point. So I guess my point in that is, is it's, I think that the meaning of made in America is, a thing of the past. You know, I'm hoping Donald Trump actually brings some pride back to that that adage, but we'll see. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, see, that's see, and that that is kind of what I I wrestle with, and you particularly in automobiles. I mean, you 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 have that a lot because it's a global sort of industry, and even if you have a car, for example, that's manufactured in Mexico, chances are it's going to have a lot of an American-made parts in it. So, and vice versa, if you've got a car that's manufactured in Tennessee, chances are it's going to have a lot of parts in it that are made overseas. I I, I really I wrestle with it. Do I want to support American businesses? Yeah. But at the same time, how do you decide what that really is nowadays? Oh, I agree. You know, I grew up. I grew up with my grandparents. My grandfather was a firm believer. You only buy U.S. You support U.S. workers. You support right. U.S. manufacturing. You buy U.S. 
And now, you know, Ford, you may end up with parts inside of your Ford that were assembled in Mexico, manufactured right. in China, in part manufactured in the U.S. And what what are you actually even supporting anymore? Well, well right. That's why it's so difficult. I mean, thanks. That, that's why I mean, what got me started on this. Again, I'm looking at this story about how, again, automakers right now are talking about how they're, they're you know, they're, they're vying to be the one that is the most made in the USA. But it's interesting. I mean, G, GM, highest domestic content of auto, any automaker. Ford, largest employer of hourly automotive workers in the U.S. Um, Toyota, uh, more than 25 million vehicles made in the U.S. over the past 30 years. I mean, so all these, okay, Toyota is, I mean, they say, okay, yeah, well, right, we're, we're a Japanese company, but, you know, we're making lots of our vehicles in the U.S. Does that make it American-made? Um, let's talk to John in West Bend. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Long-time listener. Thanks for calling. Um, you mentioned Toyota. I currently am driving a car that's badged Chevrolet. When I took it in for service, they let me know that it was actually a rebadged Toyota Corolla. Okay. <laughs> Everything about the car is Toyota except it's badged Chevrolet. Right, kind of kind of like the guy was saying before, and he goes to buy the level, it's made in Maguanago, but the only thing that's really made in Maguanago is the little, like the glass thing. Everything else is made overseas. Oh, correct. And I, and I know American car deal, or manufacturers are in partnership with cars in Japan, um, Chrysler, Mitsubishi, Chevrolet, um, was with Toyota, Ford, Mazda. Um, right. So really, when you're when you're getting when you're buying an American-made car, I think if you break all the parts down, it's probably fifty-fifty these days. Yeah, I mean, probably depending on the vehicle and stuff. So when when you go, you know, when when you go out to buy a car, is that going to be a priority for you? It, it's got to be made in America, whatever that means. I, I don't think it's possible. My yeah. friend just bought a small Buick SUV and just recently found out that it was made in China. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, but you're thinking, okay, this is a Buick, but yeah. that right. uh, Yeah, that, that, that's that's kind of – now, I mean, I think it's obviously important to support, you know, dealerships that are located here. And while I think it's a plus, I, I see I, I legitimately wrestle with what – what does this mean? Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Honestly, when I bought my CUV that I'm very happy with about two years ago, it was not a priority for me. Instead, I looked at reliability and yeah. not feeling like a giraffe in a clown car. <laughs> exactly. So your, yours was reliability, comfort, affordability, I assume, style, all those different types of things that we consider when we're buying a, a car. But, you know, where exactly it was manufactured was pretty far down the line, huh? Yeah, that's that's what I would say. Does that, okay, does that strike you as being an un-American position? Well, no, I mean, it, it, it's the American thing is sort of a nice to have, but, but I think it's really more of a common sense thing to drive a safe and reliable car. Right, that, that you like. No, I mean, right, especially on, thanks for calling, especially on a purchase, especially on a purchase like that. Eric in Sheboygan. Eric, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. My thought on, on, on a lot of this is it kind of stems from when the dock workers out in California were on strike a few years back, and Toyota was one of the ones that always, um, it says that you know our cars they're American made, right? 
you know. But when they couldn't get the the ships in the port right. and get them unloaded and get the parts to the factories, the factories shut down. Right. Because even though they were assembled in the U.S., a lot of the parts were from overseas, right? Right. But yet they 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 lay the claim that, you know, our vehicles are made in America. Mm-hmm. Well, say they're assembled in America, and and I think something to the fact that I think in the future, if you would, because I, I believe they had it at one time where you had kind of like a, a, on the window sticker, you know, 60%, you know, American parts or... Um, well, I mean, I, I, I have to tell you, though, Eric, I, I'm, and again, I quickly get beyond my depth on this because I'm not a, a car guy, but I, I don't, I'm not sure. Do you think there's any cars nowadays that are both... All, all products made in America and assembled in America. I just, I, I mean, I don't know, but I would tend to doubt it. I mean, I wonder if, by that definition, there's anything that's now really made in America anymore. If the standard's going to be, it's got to be assembled here, and it's got to be all parts that are manufactured here. Well, I don't believe there is a car that's yeah. completely one hundred percent. But um, I, I, I think it was a quite quite some time back on the window sticker it would say yeah. you know 20 percent canadian 20 percent mexico and 60 percent you know u.s or right. you know and i think those were on the window sticker why can't we go back to where somebody can say okay this car is 60 percent u.s and it's you know if we did that would that influence your would that influence your buying decision for let, let's say perfect world that they do that and you've got one car that's 60 percent american parts and one car that's 75 percent american parts would that make a difference for you in your buying decision um i'm kind of stuck on two brands okay <laughs> right in my life and 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 i guess uh no <laughs> so the answer would probably be no huh yeah it probably <laughs> would be no okay no th- and that's fair I, I appreciate that i see and i think I think as we get more global, and the, the bigger picture of this is, I, I, th- I appreciate, for example, what President Trump is trying to do with encouraging, you know, wanting to have like fair trade. Um, this is this is the type of thing, though, that that does trouble me when he's talking about let's impose tariffs on products that are coming into this country and things like that. Because I, I do think right now, especially especially when you're talking about stuff that is manufactured, stuff like automobiles, that it's tough to tell what really is an American product and and what isn't. And you have to be really careful moving forward. Is it a factor that I would consider? Yes. At the same time, if I found a car, for example, one that was made in Japan, let's say for the sake of argument, you know, made in Japan that I thought was really the, the perfect car for me at this point in time in my life, I mean, I'm buying it from a local dealer, so they're going to get that money. Would would it mean that would I buy something that I liked less or pay a little more for something that I liked less? Eh, probably not. All things being equal, am I going American? Definitely. 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 
1127. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, watching the ongoing vote in the U.S. Senate, uh, question about whether or not to confirm Betsy DeVos, who is the nominee for Department of Education Secretary. Very, very controversial. This is sort of a test of Republican unity. Two Republican senators announced they were going to vote no. Um, right now, with like eight minutes left in the vote, 50 no votes. So that would be all 48 Democratic senators and two Republicans um, right now, 48 yes votes, two votes still to come in. If both of those come in at yes, it's going to be 50-50, and then Mike Pence, the vice president, will break the tie, and uh, she will be confirmed. But uh, a little bit of interesting drama. And like I say, this is going to be the strategy against. that's going to be used against the remaining Trump nominees, starting with Jeff Sessions, to try to – we're going to vote no against him because even though he might be qualified to be the attorney general – we're just going to vote no because that's what our base is telling us to do. They want us to, in fact, vote no. All right, this is one of my favorite stories of the day. There's this guy who works as a janitor out in San Francisco. He, he cleans up. In San Francisco, the, the, the subway system they have is called the BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit. The guy, the guy last year made $270,000 as a janitor. Now, you might say, how could the guy make this money? Because apparently he signed up for every every stretch. Overtime is apparently based on seniority. The guy apparently worked 365 days last year, signed up for every shift, every day, and they, they let him do it because, again, it's all based on seniority. Is the vote 50-50? Yep. Okay, so that's the vote 50-50. No other Republicans bailed. She will be confirmed when Pence casts the vote. In any event, 270 grand because he signed up for every overtime session, and they let him do it. Some days he, he claimed he was working like 17 hours a day. You know, day after day after day. And initially, he was applauded as this, like, wonderful employee. Oh, look how hard this guy is working. Well, interestingly, a TV station, no, it actually started with this uh, nonprofit who started saying, that we wonder if that's correct. It just just seems like, you know, you're you're working, you're making $162,000 in overtime, and day after day after day you're doing this. So they started under open records law requesting surveillance videos of this guy and and what what they saw is yes he he was in fact at work but they found instances apparently there was a storage closet at work and on a regular basis what he would do is he would go hide in the storage closet two or three times a day for one time for 90 minutes one time for an hour another time for 78 minutes so what this guy would do is yes he would be at work but they would find him hiding in a storage closet every day for 3 or 4 hours a day and none of his supervisors of course noticed it so uh yeah when you hear somebody making $270,000 a year in overtime well it's because in this case he was spending hours and hours and hours a time and a half hiding in a closet go figure It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is it possible to have too much city development? One local community is concerned about that very thing. Get the details during WTMJ today, 207 this afternoon. All right, my friend and colleague, Colleen Boland, had a very, very interesting piece this morning, um, which is, I, 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 it has me thinking. For years and years, 
years and years, I have had a landline telephone at my house that I, I pay silly money to have. I don't answer the landline phone at my house anymore. Um, one, one of the reasons we had it is because my late wife used to use it to, to fax stuff back and forth, and I, I tried to get her to, to work with a scanner and stuff, and it just it just didn't work out that way. But so, but I don't I don't need a fax machine anymore. I know how to work a scanner. I can handle that. I, I don't need that. Um, I, I don't typically answer the phone that much at home. And the I the people that I do speak to, I mean, everybody's got my cell phone number. And and actually, other than you know checking messages, which I will do at the landline, you know, I I don't even think about it anymore. But you know, once a week or so, I'll, I'll check the messages because I've got the answering thing. And and I will tell you, it's it's almost never. I don't remember the last time that there was a message that was left on there that I chose to respond to. I mean, it's solicitations. It's these hang-up things. It's, you know, you, you might have won this, call this number. It's just I don't use the landline phone anymore. And I was thinking about this actually a couple days ago as I got the latest bill from AT&T. And the only reason, candidly, I have kept the phone is because... I think I'm just too lazy to, to cancel it. I, I, I have no, I have no better excuse than that. And I keep trying to think in the back of my mind: Is there a reason to continue to have the landline phone that I, I do not use, but that I, I am paying all this money for? So, uh, Colleen did a thing yesterday. She apparently uh, it was a very interesting report. We aired it on Wisconsin's uh, Morning News. She went down to uh, the Colectivo Coffee on 68th Street in Wauwatosa. And she started just going table to table, you know, asking people about whether, you know, they still had landline phones. Um, and as a general rule, with the exception of of one guy, one guy who said he still has a landline phone at home um, only because – but he has a cell phone, but he likes the landline phone because the buttons are bigger. <laughs> with the exception of that, everybody – you know, said, no, we, we haven't had a landline phone for eight years. Or, you know, some of the younger people said, well, no, my parents had one. But, you know, I, I've, you know I, as soon as I moved out of the house, I got a cell phone. I don't need one of those things. Now, AT&T or, you know, the, the phone companies don't don't keep numbers now on how many people are, they, they don't make public the numbers on how many people, you know, still have have landline phones. But, again, I've been wrestling with this whole concept, and I'm trying to think, is there really, is there any reason that I need this landline phone that I don't, that I, as a practical matter, I don't use? Because like I say, the, the people who call me, when, when, I, when I use the, the telephone, I mean, I use my cell phone. And so the businesses that I do business with, they have the cell phone. Uh, the handful of friends who call me, they, they have my cell phone number. I just, I don't remember the last time I used the landline phone for anything, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is there any reason in 2017 to still have landline phones? Now, I don't live, I mean, I live in an urban area. I understand maybe if you're in a remote area 
where you don't have cell phone service or good cell phone or reliable cell phone service. You know, maybe there there's that reason because you, you can't get the connections. But that's that's not me, and that's not most of us. I mean, I, I have no problem with my cell phone connection at all. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. All right, are landline phones going the way of the dinosaur, or is there still a reason to have them? I am wrestling with that question now. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1139, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs> It's 1142, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, Colleen Bolin from our news department had sort of a provocative piece this morning. It was Constance Morning News. She went down to one of the local coffee places in Wauwatosa and started asking about whether anybody still had landline phones. And nobody did, with the exception of one guy who said the only reason he did is because the, the buttons were bigger than on his cell phone. But I, I will tell you, in all honesty, I have not used my landline telephone since at least last May, and probably a long time before that. It's now in February. They charge me every month for it just because of inertia, I guess. I haven't I haven't canceled it. I keep thinking, am I missing something? You know, what what happens if I cancel it? Am I going to be sorry about it? But I, I don't use it. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. Um, Angela in Franklin. Angela, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, do you still have a landline? We do. We've actually um, have never stopped paying for our landline. We do not use it, but we've kept it in the thought that one day um, our young daughter and young son will have boys or girls calling the house. And I think it's important if a boy is going to call my daughter that her father should have to answer the phone <laughs> okay. and that boy should have to talk to her father. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. But, but that, that then begs the question, Angela, you know, when, when, you're, when your daughter is old enough to date, you know, and maybe as far as dad is concerned, that's going to be 25 or something. But, but and it, it could be that. But by that time, I mean, I mean, nowadays, kids end up getting cell phones. I've talked I, I talked to parents whose, whose kids have cell phones at nine or 10 or, or 11. By that time, is, isn't she going to have a cell phone or something? Well, I hope not. And that was kind of the intention of keeping the line is that if we continue to pay for it one day, we will just be able to have it. And we won't say, oh, we'll pay for it one day and get it. So we already have it. Hopefully, it can reduce the need to have the cell phone okay. earlier in life. But at least as of as of right now, you still have it. You pay for it every month. But you're yeah, talking to me on your cell phone. You're, you don't use the landline. No, we we don't even have a phone plugged in at all. Um, but we just pay for it every month. So. <laughs> Hopefully one day when we need it, we can just plug it in, and uh, hopefully we won't have boys calling for a long time. I, exactly. So, okay, thanks for calling. See, now, that, that's, I mean, I, I understand what she's saying, but she's kind of in my situation because you're just, you're paying however much she's paying for this service that you're not using. You know, and I, I mean, and I understand that if, if you use it, you do it. But, I mean, it's, I, as I sit there and think, okay, what, what are these different expenses that I can cut out? It's like, all right, if I haven't used, it's like clothes. They always tell you if you haven't worn a, if you haven't worn an article of clothing in a year or two, you get rid of it because you're not going to use it again. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, realistically, I haven't used this since May. I don't, at, at least since May, maybe, you know, before that, I, I don't see that changing. I'm happy with my cell phone. I don't live in an area where I have an issue with reception. Is this, Am I just peeing money away every month? 414-799-1620. Tracy in New Berlin. Tracy, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. You know, the main reason we've kept ours is young kids and when we have babysitters. 
Okay. Um, I just, I'm not going to trust that my babysitter's phone or telephone is always charged or working or available. So I want that landline available in case anything needs, any messages need to come through. Okay. Um, how long, how long do you, do you see a point in time where then you ultimately get rid after your kids get a little bit older, where you end up getting rid of the landline? Possibly. Um, but I don't know. I think just, just mm-hmm. that peace of mind of having a phone that is always working, always available, right. and always charged, right. that makes me feel a lot better at home. Do, do you use it a lot or at all? Um, we use them a little bit. Right. But not, I mean, I do have two older kids. They have cell phones. Right. Cell phones. Um, but we do use it. But it's probably it's, would I be safe would it be safe to say it's more of like peace of mind as opposed to like the the value you it's probably a money loser for you but you just it's oh, important absolutely. for peace of mind yeah. yeah we aren't using it enough but even eventually we'll probably get rid of it but for now it's it's our main main line for you know especially right. when we have babysitters over yeah. and we also have a central alarm system right that it's tied so into yep that it's tied into and we obviously we can go onto our cell phones with that but you know it, it kind of holds two pieces now so. right, yeah. that, 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 see, and, and see and i do see i don't think landlines are going to disappear completely but i, I do think more and more people are going to maybe like in the case of where Tracy's talking about, you, you might just kind of age out of the need for it. As I mean, I understand she's talking about you want to make sure when the babysitter's over. Well, okay, after a certain point, kids get a little bit older, they get their cell phones. Do you still need it? Let's talk to uh, Jake in Cedarburg. Jake, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, are you still a landline guy? I am, and actually, at the beginning of February, my service agreement was eligible for renewal. And I wanted to get rid of the landline, and it actually would have cost me more to get rid of it than to keep it. Okay. Uh, is that through because you, like, bundle with one of your cable companies or something? Yes. Okay. So it would have cost about $20 more a month to get rid of it than <laughs> to keep it. So, so it's, it, it's just one that you don't really use it, you don't need it, but because of the way the whole thing is set up, it would be more expensive. <laughs> there's something really bizarre about that when you think about it, you know, Jake? Yeah. Yeah, the way they do it is they give you almost like a minute's restriction, hoping that you go over, and then that's where they charge you. Right. Um, so it's kind of a loss leader. Do you use your landline at all? The only time I use it is if I ever need to, you know, like fill out a form and they ask for a contact number. Right. Because then the ones that I actually want to hear from, I put my cell phone down. Right. And the right. ones that I don't, I put that number right. down. But as far as actually using the phone, like picking it up and, and making Never. phone calls, yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no one would know that number that I needed to get a hold of. Yeah, no, I'm think that I mean that's I mean that that's kind of the situation. I mean, I don't I don't give I mean, I don't give the landline out anymore just because I, I don't use it. I don't answer it. And nowadays, it's just I, I I don't I don't think I've checked it in about a week or two for you know for for messages. I'm going to probably do that after the show ends. Let's talk to Zach in Milwaukee. Zach, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Hey there, how are you going? I'm doing well, thanks. Okay, landlines. You still have one? Uh, yeah. Technically, there, there's not anything plugged into it, but I have one there. It's kind of the same thing as the last guy, where I actually save almost three dollars on my cable bill. <laughs> physically, you know, just having it, but there's no phone plugged into it. And I just get a pop-up on my phone every time some random number has called that line. But, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, when when you sit here and you think about this, it does kind of show how insane some billing things are. Right. You've got it. 
you don't use it, you don't need it, it's not plugged in, but by having it, it's $20 less than if you didn't have it. That's, right. <laughs> uh, right. I, even, I even called in and told them I was switching to a competitor, and they told me if I added a line that they would take $30 off my bill every month. <laughs> so so, I, <laughs> I, so I, w- I wonder if the last guy hit, hit it on the head. Maybe it's that because you've got a minute limit usage thing, and, and they're hoping that even though you say yeah. you don't use the, the phone, you're hoping that you, that you do it, and then they can hit you with the minute type of thing. Maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe that's how you make because otherwise it makes – I mean, otherwise it makes no sense when you think it, about it. Yeah. Uh, Other than, you know, obviously with, with Time Warner, it's tied through the router and not through the actual wall jack. Right. Like the AT&T is, so. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Data, but still. Yeah. No, thanks. I mean, again, I, it's I, look, and I'm not encouraging. Uh, the purpose of this is not to encourage people who like their. If you like your landline, keep it. I mean, if you if you like your doctor, keep him. You know, it, that's, that that's not what the purpose of this is. It's just this is it is something that I am wrestling with in my personal life. Sitting there thinking, all right, is there really any reason that I continue to need this and and pay? And you know, it's 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 relatively pricey for something that I'm I'm not using. By the time you add in it, it's an unpublished number and all the fees and all this different type of stuff. I mean, it's I, can I afford it? Yes. But if you're not using it, does it make any sense at all? Let's talk to um, Andy in Pewaukee. Andy, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? I'm on a real phone. <laughs> a real phone. A real one, yeah. And uh, I will never get rid of it till I'm dead. Okay, tell me why. Well, I'm, I do have a cell phone, too, that I hardly use. Okay. But I'm tired of uh, all these cell phones that people are cutting out. Okay. And, uh, you've got crappy voice and right. uh, voice delay, and you can't understand them, and yep. so forth. And uh, yep. uh, well, no, that that you know, I I mean, I when when I, for example, if I, if I'm ever doing like a remote thing where I'm calling in, I will always if they have a land, if I'm in a place where they've got a landline available, I will do that I- instead of the cell phone because I think. While cell phone stuff has gotten better, I, I do think it sounds better, it sounds clearer on a landline. So, I mean, I, I understand that. Um, how much, do you know off the top of your head how much you pay a month for the landline? Oh, man, it seems to me by the time you curse, you get all the fees and taxes and right. stuff, uh, probably around 30 bucks a month, I'm thinking. Oh, okay, well, I mean, it's for 30 bucks a month, I mean, thanks for calling, I mean, for 30 bucks a month, you've got a better deal than I am. Mine is more than $30. Um, but for 30 bucks a month, I mean, I, I guess... I mean, I guess it's worth it, and Lord knows that, Lord knows that I can find more ways to throw thirty dollars away than, than that. But I am, I, I am, I am wrestling with it, and I appreciate, like I say, there's people that can come up with justifications and, and why it, it makes sense for them. I'm just not sure. Um, I'm not sure that it's me anymore. Karen in Wauwatosa. Karen, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I just have learned, and it's been part of my life, a um, very good reason, I would guess, to have a landline. Someone very close to me has started to have memory issues, yeah, kind of early Alzheimer's right. things, yeah. and can no longer remember how to use that cell phone. Really? Really. Uh, but they can use, but they can, they remember how to use the landline. Yes. Huh. Yep, because it's, you know, it's old. It's long-term, what their memory was, had to um, buy a new phone, right. you know, with big enough buttons. <laughs> right, yeah. And that has that automatic, you know, dial one, and you're going to get so-and-so, right. dial two, and you're going to get so-and-so. Right. But, uh, boy, I, and I never thought of that be, no. being a problem. And this was a cell phone user uh, who really could use it right. uh, for years. Huh. 
Um, I, that, that's an, thanks for calling. I mean, that's an interesting, I, I, that, that, that's an interesting situation, I guess. I mean, I certainly understand that case. Um, that possibility, I'm not sure it'd be enough to motivate me to, to, to keep, you know, paying whatever stupid amount of money I'm paying every month. But that's a factor, and I, I get it. Let's talk to, um, let's see, JP in Racine. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Thanks for How are you doing? I'm good. What do you think? Good. Well, quick story, like I was telling your uh, screener. Um, we just had a grandbaby about a year ago, so I watch her on my days off. Congratulations. You're a good grandpa. Thank that you. sounds nice. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, the phone will ring all the time when I'm trying to put it to sleep, so I disconnected it. And the only phone that rings is our landline in the garage. Okay. This I disconnected the, mo- the phone about, I'd say around six to eight months ago. Right. My family never noticed that thing was disconnected until <laughs> I told them on Super Bowl Sunday that I was getting rid of the landline. <laughs> and I said, didn't you guys... Yeah. Not miss all the political calls that we weren't getting, right? Yeah, and they oh, they all said no, no. So, so you nobody in your house knew that you had unplugged the thing. Um, okay, but see, I guess that's the sort of situation I'm in. I'm thinking, okay, if I have, and again, I'm not telling people to, to dump them, but if I haven't used yeah. it since May, you know, you you went through the same thing. I can yeah. probably save the money. Yeah. Now, thank, thanks for the call. I will, I'm sure we're going to replay Colleen's piece at some point in time. I think it's also available on the website. It. It's just, it's one of these things that, you know, I, I mean, I think landlines at some point in time are going to be like phone booths um, sometime soon. It is 11.54. We'll find out what the guys on WTMJ today have in store in just a minute or two. Stick around. It's 11.57. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eric Bilstead, WTMJ Today coming up. Good Hello, morning. sir. Hello. History on Capitol Hill. You know what I'm curious about? How many people could name the last two or three education secretaries nobody right i mean nobody i mean unless you're a real policy wonk no 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 but history today the vice president had to get involved it's never been done before does anyone really care it, you know, I thought it was. Inter- I was actually. I was watching the vote on C-SPAN. Yeah. You know, it, it ended up fifty-fifty. There were no, but I, it was interesting because I, I know a number of Republican senators were were getting besieged by calls demanding that they switch their vote. And, yeah, uh, all fifty, besides the two that jumped ship, um, decided to hold firm. I am surprised that the vice president has never been called to do this before for a confirmation. That shocks me. Now, the vice president has had to to make right. a vote, a tie-breaking vote. Sure. That's happened throughout history, of course, but never for a confirmation. That's amazing to me. Interesting. What else you got coming up on the program? The big one, tuition. Should it go down? Lawmakers in Madison question this. You know, Governor Walker talking like he wants to cut tuition. Mm-hmm. Will it happen? Should it happen? For, any, talk about for anybody who doesn't think Scott Walker is going to run again, you look at the budget proposals. <laughs> Lower tuition and more money to K-12 through education. This is a re-election budget. I mean, I'm just telling yeah, you, yeah. that that's that's what it is. I am out of time. Stick around. Scott Warris, Eric Spilstadt um, on WTMJ Today. I am back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. If you're driving in the fog, be careful. Have a great Tuesday. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.